You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. And so it was cool to see you guys and to be able to see you guys go out that night. So super pumped. Let me just give you a reminder for those of you who were there, and then we're going to get into the night. Uh, I think it was two weeks before you left, I spoke and uh, was talking about the difference in the equality of reaping and sowing. I think sometimes we forget and we get so bogged down with, well, I witnessed to 48 people. How in the world did nobody come to the Lord? And and remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I said this. It takes the average American hearing the gospel eight times before they come to Christ. Seven, eight times. Did I say seven? Let's call it eight. Let's say fun. They got to hear it seven times before they come to Christ. And I think sometimes we get so down on ourselves because we don't get to see something personally. I, I know there was a lot seen. But what happens is we put pressure on ourselves to go on a trip like that. And I think we forget that sometimes we're number four. It's going to be those times uh, that you're going to be in heaven one day. You're you're going to be walking around going, weren't you that drunk kid that I witnessed to down at Beach Reach? And they're going to be in heaven and say, yeah, I heard it three more times and came to the Lord. So that's the idea of what it means in equality and reaping and sowing. And so listen, it was super great to be able to be with you guys and super happy to be here tonight. Yeah, Yeah. I like that. I know I stress uh, Zach out a lot. Because I'm always writing my sermons as I'm going. And when I say that, let me just tell you, I always know where I want to go. I knew I wanted to go to Mark chapter 8 even before I got here. But I told you all a little while ago when I was here, I was really moved by Jim Cimbala when he said it to me. He said, listen, in the end, Wade, you can write a cool sermon, but people need to hear a word from the Lord. And, and so, you know, if you're writing something until the very end... Uh, then write it. And so Haley over there, I think I asked for her pen three times during worship, and I was like, you're helping me write my sermon. So I'm excited. Let's see what happens. Lord Jesus, ask in the next few minutes uh, that you would allow your word to come to life because we need it to. Lord, we are in a room with brothers and sisters who have different pains, different hurts, different celebrations. Some of us are seeking. Some of us have found. But in the end, we're all in the same room, and we need a word from you. Uh, And this man can only say one thing, but you and your spirit, regardless of the sermon, can change our hearts and can speak uh, to our souls. And so we ask that you do that tonight. So we follow you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray we all say amen. Um, I've told people before, I've told you and I'll tell you again, but my my life verse is 1 John 2, 6. Uh, Most people have a life verse, but they don't really know what it means. Uh, But it's interesting because it's an emphatic verse. Uh, one of the most emphatic verses in all the scripture for if you claim to live in him you must walk as Jesus walked it's not an not an opinion it's not an option but if you claim to be a Christian you must walk as Jesus walked and just a little side note it's interesting because when Jared and I and and Aaron we do these big conferences sometimes a lot of times with students they'll come up and when it's not college students but like high school students when they're at the big conferences they want you to like sign their bibles or something like that or you know they like want my autograph which is super weird and so what i've always done is i scribble my name where you cannot read it because my name doesn't really matter and i very legibly write first john 2 6 because my hope is that they go back and look at it and go i don't know who that preacher was but that's a really good verse and uh there was this one conference i was at and when i say thousands of people wanted me to sign their bibles i was a little freaked out but I don't want to be the guy that's like super spiritual. No, I'm not going to sign your Bible. It's God's word. And so I, I was signing them, but I got really tired at one point and I just started scribbling my name and I would just write down the verse Genesis 3:10, And I was doing that for fun. And uh, I think I did that to 10 different Bibles until the dude next to me, a worship guy, he saw it and looked at me and goes, dude, stop. 
And I said, what? Dude, I know what that verse is. You need to stop. And I went, dude, you're right. And I got back to signing 1 John 2, 6. If you ever read Genesis 3.10, you'll find out that it said, I heard your voice in the garden, but I was naked and I hid. <laughs> and I wrote down that verse. And I've always had this weird sinking feeling that there was, there's somebody that's going to look up that verse one day and they're actually going to remember my name and say, what in the world is this about? You know, somebody's parent is looking at that going, what was the name of the speaker? So it's one of those weird things. But seriously, my life verse has always been 1 John 2, 6. But what I found out is a lot of times we have a life verse because it speaks to us, but very seldom uh, do we study it. And it was interesting that not too long ago, I was going through it and reading it for you. If you claim to live in him, you must walk as Jesus walked. So I decided to do a study on my own, not for sermons, but I was just doing a study on how Jesus walked. I mean, I went through the gospels on who did he hang out with? I mean, what did he do? I mean... Where did he eat? Who who did he hang out with? And when I started to go through that, it was interesting because one of the things that you see in the Gospels that stick out in Jesus' life is he produced these things we call miracles. And so I decided to do a study on the miracles because that's one of the things that really sticks out. And one of the things you're going to find out is when Jesus did the miracles, it was never for sensation. I mean, very seldom did he even do it in front of groups of people. A lot of times he would pull people aside and he would heal them and he would say, now go and live differently or go and sin no more. In other words, this is for you. This is not some sensational thing that I want everybody to say, ooh, look what you did. In other words, he cared about people and not just about raising his name. And it was interesting because I started to go through all these miracles and we've got him healing deaf people. We've got healing diseases. And then we've got several moments where he heals blind people. And that's one of the things that I came across that made me step back. Because when you read Mark chapter 8, it's the only time out of all of the healings of Jesus that he had to touch somebody twice. In other words, when Jesus says something, it's done every time. When Jesus touched somebody, he healed them every single time. But I remember when I came to this passage, it was a little bit different. And when I saw it, I think Sometimes we just kind of brush over things and we don't see that when something is done differently, maybe we need to slow down and study it a little bit. And I thought maybe that could speak to us tonight. So if you got your Bibles open, Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22, he said it like this. It said, they came to Bethesda and some people brought a blind man by the hand and they begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man and he led him outside the village by the hand and led him outside the village. There's a reason for that. We'll talk about that later. It said, when he spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him, and Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Now, when you see that, my mentality, I'm just that weird dude, I thought, I mean, how do you know what trees look like if you've been blind, right? I mean, I I, I see people, they look like trees, and I was thinking, how do you even know what trees look like? It just bothered me when I saw that. But the bottom line is this, his vision is fuzzy, and we know that. So it says it like this. He said, he looked up and he said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. So once again, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And then Jesus sent him home saying, don't go back into the village. You know, sometimes we read a story like that and it's four verses. It's not like a chapter and you just gloss over it. But let me just like raise your spiritual antennas up. It's the only time that Jesus had to do it twice. It's almost when you read it from the outset that Jesus spit on the man's eyes and said, can you see everything? And he said, well, I see people. They look like trees walking around. It's almost like Jesus was like, 
you know what? I wasn't thinking for a second, and I only gave you half my power, so now I'm going to lay my hands on you again, and then he saw everything clearly. Here's the problem with that mentality. If that's the way it went down, then he's not Jesus. Because Jesus always gets it right the first time. So it's because of that that you've got to sit back and go, then what in the world are we supposed to learn? Why did Jesus have this story where he had to touch the man twice so that he could see everything clearly? Because that's ultimately what Jesus wants for us. We live a life trying to figure out God's will. We live lives trying to figure out our purpose in life. And it's almost really fuzzy, but I want you to understand this. I believe that for all of us, one way or another, he crystal clear tells you what he needs you to do. The problem is we overthink it, and that's what makes things fuzzy a little bit. And it's when you start to understand that that I thought, well, maybe this can speak to some hearts. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down just a few thoughts. If you're not taking notes, just, just, just think about it like this. There were three words that stuck out to me because I wasn't trying to write a sermon. I was actually in a quiet time. And here's the three words that stuck out. The first word was the word compassion because that's what happened. There was an act of compassion that happened in verse 22 that was amazing. It said they brought a blind man to the Bethesda. They brought him and they begged Jesus to touch him. There's a whole bunch there. The city of Bethesda means house of fish. House of fish, which means it's a little city near the Sea of Galilee. Have you ever looked in the back of your Bibles and you wonder why those Bible maps are there? I'm about to tell you right now. You ready? It's interesting. The Sea of Galilee was right there. The city of Bethesda is also the home of Andrew Peter Fisherman. It was a huge fishing city, a huge fishing village. And when you start to understand what's happening here, all of a sudden you start to figure out there's a lot of miracles that had happened. Matter of fact, about five weeks before this miracle had happened, Jesus just fed the 5,000 just right down the beach. And it's when you understand that that you realize people were starting to figure out, wait, we don't really know who Jesus is, but we hear he's healing people, and that was the, masar, the mark of a Messiah and they started to try to go, well, what's going on? And when I started to see this, I thought that's interesting because we start off with the word compassion because you have people, they didn't bring a man that they knew. They brought a blind man, just some random guy, and they begged Jesus to touch him. I think it's a good word. They begged him. They didn't ask him. They begged him. Jesus, please. We're begging. Could you please do this? A lot of people today... In church, including me, I'll do something once, but I come short of begging you. There was a day where we used to beg people to come to Jesus. There was a day where we would cry for people to come to Jesus. And when I started to see this, I thought, there's a huge act of compassion because these people, not bringing their daughter, not bringing their son, because that's when you beg, randomly bring some guy and they lay him at Jesus' feet and they say, please, could you do it? Please, could you do this? Is it weird today because when you think about compassion, it doesn't overwhelm us sometimes because most of us in the room are compassionate. In other words, there's not one person in this room that if we walked out to go to our cars, that if you saw somebody out there that hadn't eaten in a week, there's not one person in this room that would not find them some food. There's not one person in this room, if we walked out and saw somebody get in a car wreck, not one person would not try to help. We live in a world, especially in America, that we have compassion for those who maybe don't have it as good as we do, but when you go a little bit deeper into this, it gets a little bit interesting because they were begging Jesus to touch him. When you get a little deeper in this, you're going to find out they weren't begging Jesus to touch him because they believed Jesus was the Messiah. They wanted Jesus to be a magician. There's a difference. 
You see, I found out a lot of times we want the same thing. When you think about their life, like I said, four or five weeks before, he had just fed the 5,000. You know more than likely they had heard about that. Why? Because if you ever want to spread a rumor, do it in church. It happens fast. It just does. You go to somebody in church and say, don't tell somebody, and everybody knows. But it's interesting because you know good and well, if you put the story together, it's almost like, wait, is it, this is the guy that fed the 5,000? Wait, he's the guy that he, he healed that guy that was dead? Wait. And it's almost like they were coming up to, hey, Jesus, we're just randomly picking somebody. Hey, by the way, can you do that trick again? And when I started to think through that, you know what I thought? I saw a picture of my life sometimes. A lot of times, if we're not careful, we treat Jesus like he's a magician instead of Messiah, especially in our prayer life. You know why? Because we come up to him sometimes and we'll bow our heads and we'll say this. Jesus, give me this, give me this, give me this in your name. Amen. Do you know what we're saying? Could you give me, could you, just do another trick. Just provide something different. When's the last time you sat down and prayed for an hour and did nothing but talk of his beauty? When's the last time you prayed to Jesus for an hour and didn't ask him for one thing? There's a difference in depth of the Christian life when you finally get past just asking him things, but you get to the point where you believe and you know he is the Messiah, and you treat him like that, it starts to make a difference. But not only do we see the word compassion, but secondly, if you're taking notes, the word completeness is there. And that's the next two verses. It's interesting because that's the passage that I was telling you. They came and he said, Jesus spit on, them, spit on the man's eyes. Do you see people? They look like trees walking around. Once again, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. It's like he's trying to make a point. His sight was restored. We know what that means. He saw everything clearly. We understand. But it's almost like he's saying, right now, this guy can see crystal clear. Why in the world was it done that way? I believe that if you really think about it and you start to dive into Scripture, what you're going to find out is this. Most of us are happy being halfway healed. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense? L let me put it to you like this, and then I'll come back to you. This guy went from no sight to some sight. I think he's pretty pumped about that. I mean, imagine being completely blind, and I can almost hear him saying it. It's like Jesus is trying to make a point. Uh, do you see anything? Hey, you know what? I see people. They look like trees walking around, but I'm going to tell you something. I see people. You can see this guy going, man, I can see. And then Jesus put his hands on him again. And his sight was restored, and he saw everything crystal clear. You know what I found out a lot of times in church? We are just like that blind man, and we're happy being halfway healed. Most of us are just happy that if we, we know if we die tonight, we're going to heaven. That's really all you want. But there's so much more to the Christian life than just knowing if you die tonight, you go to heaven. Does that make sense? I'll say to you, because I said this a year ago, and I used this illustration, so I'll do it quicker. But I remember doing a revival one time, and, and, and it was a good thing. I mean, we, we, the pastor was like, listen, just, just do me a favor. Just talk about Jesus. We're going to give a harvest invitation. We want to see people saved. And I remember the drama team. It was just the cross. The, 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 the singing was just the cross. And I got up and preached John 3.16 as best as I could. And I remember I got down to the very end, and I was, I was, I was thinking too far ahead. Because we, speakers can think while we're talking to you. And I remember when I got there, I thought, all I got to do is say that magic phrase that we say in the Baptist world, do you know for a fact if you die tonight you're going to heaven? And that's beautiful. But the problem is when I got there, I was thinking something else, and I ended up saying this. What happens if you don't die? Completely messed up the whole crowd. 
Because everybody knew they, they were all bringing their lost friends to be saved. And here I was. I was supposed to say, what happens if you die? Do you know for a fact if you die tonight you're going to heaven? And when I got there, I remember saying it. What happens if you don't die? It was like the pastors on the front row going, dude, you were supposed to kill them right there. I mean, metaphorically speaking, you needed to kill everybody in the room. They needed to think through it a little bit. And it was interesting because you can't dig out of that hole when you're a speaker. It's not like I can stop and go, no, what I meant to say was, what happens if you die? I mean, because everybody knows the punchline at that point. And I remember sitting there for like 10 seconds. And 10 seconds of silence on a stage is like an eternity. And I remember sitting there going, I don't even know what to do. And I finally looked at the crowd and said, you know what, let's just go down that line for a second. What happens if you don't die? What happens if by God's grace you get to wake up tomorrow? What's for you? See, I figured out we talk so much about what happens when we die, we forgot to tell Christians what happens if you live. Does that make sense? The idea of the Christian life is for you to want it all. Matter of fact, if you go to 2 Peter, it's interesting because it says, in fact, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and truth. That's interesting. Then why do so many people live defeated Christian lives? Well, it's almost like I'm living 7th grade Christianity, but wait, one day I'll get to ninth grade and I'm ready to do something. No, no, no. When you get to the point that you understand when you have Jesus, you have everything you need to live the Christian life. You start to figure out, I don't want a piece of him. I want all of him. And when you start to do that, you start to realize I want even more. I, I, I don't know if you remember, but two weeks before you left, I was doing something out of Acts 4, and I talked to you about how in the book of Romans, it says that you will never understand the complete joy and understanding of your salvation until you share your faith. Isn't it interesting? How many of you, I'm just wondering, that went to Beach Reach had never shared your faith until you got there? I'm just wondering. Just raise your hand. Plenty of you, right? So here's the deal. Uh, I'm willing to bet you're pretty pumped about it now. You know what happens? You finally do it out loud, and you put that up against Scripture. Well, if I share my faith, I'm going to have a deeper understanding and knowledge of my whole salvation. All of a sudden, you're here and you're pumped. Maybe more than you ever have. Maybe you can't even explain it. Why? Because you went from being halfway healed to completely healed. I mean, it's when you start to understand that that you realize it means something in our hearts. And you say, well, well what do you mean? I'll say it to you like this. Uh, let's just say Zach just won the lottery. Um, and, and, by, and by the way, I know you don't buy lottery tickets, but I hope you do. 300 million, I'm good, right? Let's just say he wins the lottery one day, and he comes up to me. And I'm coming back in like a month. And let's just say he comes up and says, you know what, wait, I won the lottery. It sounds crazy. Everybody thinks I'm going to hell for winning the lottery. It's the devil's money. Um, it's not the devil's money if you give it to me. I'll use it right, I promise. I'm just being honest. Let's just say he came up to me and said this. You know what? My new fiancé and I, ooh, I'm so excited. It's the first time in overflow he's been engaged. I'm happy since I've been here. Let's just say he came up and said, you know what? We were praying about it, Wade. We really appreciate you, and we've decided we're going to give your ministry a million dollars. Just so you know, if you ever do that, I will be pumped about that, bro. <laughs> but let's just say he says that, and by the end of the service, he comes up to hand me a million-dollar check, and he looks and says this. I know it sounds weird, but we were praying over there, and we've decided that a million dollars is a lot of money. We're only going to give you a half a million. I'd be pumped about that. <laughs> Why? Because I didn't earn any of it. And because of that, I'll take whatever you can give me. Hear me when I say this. You didn't earn any of your salvation, but you should desire every single bit of it. You need to spend the rest of your life saying, Jesus, give me more. 
Jesus, I don't want to be halfway healed. I want to be completely healed. I want to see everything exactly the way you want me to see it, crystal clear, which leads to the last point. He goes from compassion to completeness, and the last word is confrontation. It's an interesting, and it's a very quick set of verses, but he said, and Jesus says to him, don't go back into the village. It's that simple. But there's a lot packed into that verse that I want you to understand. Because if you remember, when they brought the blind man and they begged Jesus to touch him, he took him by the hand and he did what? He led him outside the village. He healed him outside the village. And after he was healed and the sight was restored, what did he say? Don't go back into the village. Here's the problem with that. The people that brought him are waiting for him in the village. That's interesting, right? Jesus says, hey, by the way, you know those people that brought you to be healed? You wouldn't be healed if they didn't bring you. So you need to be thankful, but do me a favor. They're back there. Don't go back and talk to them. It almost sounds like Jesus was not born in the South, right? I mean, we have what's called Southern hospitality. It's almost like you want to say, hey, Jesus, I get what you're saying, but do me a favor. Why couldn't have Jesus said, hey, go back and just thank them, and I have this great will for your life, and now that your eyes are opened, I'm going to show you something that you've never seen. But after you go thank them because you need to be loyal to them, come back. You know what Jesus said? Forget even thanking them. Don't even look back. It's kind of interesting, but I think sometimes in those moments, we think that Jesus is being callous, and we forget, no, he's just being sovereign. It means he knows what he's talking about. He knows that that guy did not need to go back into the village. And you say, whoa, 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 where do you get that from? A little bit more studying. You're not know going to find out. He knew that if that guy went back and thanked those people, they wouldn't have believed him. Have you ever gotten to the point that you really got excited about Jesus? Maybe this happened for some of you over spring break. And you finally come back and you look at your friends because you are so whole again. And you're like, man. Jesus rocked my life, man. And you know what the worst thing that can happen? And I bet a few of you heard it. Somebody looked at you and said this. Yeah, right. Whatever. You'll be doing the same old thing you were doing a month ago. It's one of the worst things you can hear as a Christian. Because you want people to believe in you. You want to believe in yourself. But when you get put down like that, you're not even sure what to do. Jesus knew that they were going to do that. And he was actually trying to protect him. And you say, well, where do you get that from? If you do a little bit of studying in Matthew chapter 11 and Luke chapter 10, just do it later on. But you know what you're going to find out? Five weeks after this moment happened, Jesus pronounced judgment on the city of Bethesda for their lack of reception of messiahship, if it's a messiahship, and their lack of reception of his miracles. In other words, he knew they weren't going to believe. He didn't want him to be let down. And he said this, don't turn around. I need you to go in this direction instead of that direction. And if you trust me, I can do something huge with your life. I think sometimes we forget that blind faith is a beautiful thing. But we live in a day of intellectualism. And by the way, intellectualism, studying the Bible is a good thing. I, I want you to study and know things. But can I say this? In the end, if Jesus tells you to do something, just do it. Because when you are in the middle of God's will, doing something that sometimes you don't even understand, it's amazing how it comes full circle to do something in a huge way. And you say, well, what do you mean? 
I told you I wanted to end in Acts chapter 16. If you still got your Bibles, I want you to show, I want to show you this. If you don't have your Bibles, just let me, just let me read this to you because it's just a quick set of verses and you've probably heard it preached on before. But in Acts chapter 16, I think it's probably starting in verse uh, 6. There's a story about Paul. He's trying to win people for the gospel, which he always was. And it's an interesting story about a dream. But it says this, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been kept from the Holy Spirit uh, from preaching the word in the province of Asia. It said, when they came to the city of Mysia, wait, I can't, I can't see it. When they came to the city of Mysia, they came to enter it into the Bithynia, and the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to come in. So they passed by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision, or a dream, however you want to say it, of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us, and it says, Paul got up, understanding the vision, and immediately they went toward Macedonia. Now, let me just give you an explanation of this. Paul was moving the gospel east. In other words, Paul was going. If you start to read all those, like, go back in your Bible maps and look at this. Paul literally was moving the gospel toward the province of Asia from the Middle East. He was moving in that direction, taking the gospel outward from the home base. In other words, we want the whole world to know. They kept trying to get into cities, and they were shut down. But did you understand what the Bible said? They weren't shut down by the cities. They were shut down by the Holy Spirit. Paul was saying, whoa, 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 hold on. I'm, I'm just spreading the gospel, Jesus. This is where you want me to go. As long as I'm sharing the gospel, that's right. And he kept being shut down by the Spirit. He would go into one city. Spirit says, not going to happen here. Went into another city, spirit still moving east to Troas, still not happening. You could imagine he's trying to knock down the doors. And there's one thing I know about Paul, if you read about Paul's life. Eventually, Paul would have knocked down the door in his flesh. He was that guy. He was confrontational. And he probably eventually would have knocked down the door of Troas, gone east, and taking the gospel toward Asia, and it would have been a beautiful thing. But interestingly enough, he has a dream or a vision of a man from Macedonia, by the way, which is west instead of east. And the man in Macedonia said this, hey, Paul, you're going in that direction. Could you please come in this direction? He immediately understood it was the spirit, and he stood up, and they went west instead of east. I think a lot of times we don't understand the movement of the gospel but I remember reading in church history and seminary because it is really good to read that stuff. It says when you start to understand the movement of Paul, at that point, everything went toward the West. And then it was hundreds of years later, it continued toward the West. And then it was hundreds of years later that it ended up in what we would call Europe. And then it was hundreds of years later that it ended up in America. And by the way, the gospel's still moving West. I remember having a professor say it like this, and it really caught my attention. He said, if Paul decided to follow himself instead of following the spirit and the open door that Jesus was giving him, there's a good chance that China would be sending missionaries to us instead of us sending them to China. Because the gospel movement would have kept going that direction. It is imperative that when our eyes are open to what God has for us, that you go through that door. Because I want to tell you what happens. It's not just in something that's big, but I meet college students 
you're trying to date somebody and it's being shut down. It's like the door's being shut every time. But there's this one guy, this one girl that thinks you're kind of cool. But you don't go through that door. It's the same thing. I've got this career and I want to go down that road but maybe you're just not quite smart enough to do what you need to do and you don't understand that maybe that's not God trying to say that you're not smart. Maybe God's trying to get you to go in a different direction and we never open our minds to that. I remember speaking at a college group one time and I had been going for a couple of years and there was a kid named Trey that was coming. He was 24 years old. And he had a desire to get a certain job, but he had to do the GMAT to get in, to get into school so he could get this certain job. And he took the test three times, failed it every time. He had job offers over here, but he wanted this job right here. And as he continued to try to break down every one of these doors, he was trying so hard. And every time he would fail the test, I saw the kid literally start to break himself down. And I remember him looking at me one time and he said, Wade, what do I need to do? And I looked at him and said, what do you mean? He said, I think, and I'm just going to tell you what he said. He said, I think if I take this test a fourth time, I might kill myself. If I end up failing this again, I, I'm just going to end it. He said, do you have any advice for me? And I looked at him and said this, go through the open doors instead of the closed ones. He had a job right here, but he wanted the one that was closed down. Paul had a ministry right here, but Jesus said, I want you over here. In so many of our lives, we see what we want and our eyes are open. And the confrontation that he says to not go back into the village is this. Don't go back to the way you used to be ever again. Those of you who've been coming to Overflow and your eyes have been opened to who Jesus is for the first time and you have started to live for him, you know what that means? Don't go back to the life that you used to have. Those of you who went to Beach Reach and you shared your faith for the first time and there's something that happened inside of you that you felt something that was so awesome, then don't ever go back. But just know that God's always calling you towards something. But God doesn't call us to go through the closed doors. He always opens them for us. And my hope and my prayer that as we continue this thing called overflow, that you always see what he has for you and you go after it with a passion. Don't live your life halfway healed. Live your life as though you have him all. And it'll make a difference. Can you just bow with me for a second? And as the guys come up to lead us, my hope and my prayer tonight more than anything has not been about maybe somebody here saying, hey, that was a cool message or a cool talk or a cool sermon, whatever you call it. My passion has been truly to speak to some hearts, to maybe speak to some in this room, students, for that matter, adults that are maybe at a standstill in their life and they've been trying to figure it out and they're saying, God, what do I do? And in the end, we kind of know what we need to do. We just need to have the faith to go through the door. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.